Everybody loves a hypocrite. Am I right? I mean, it's always refreshing to come across someone who says one thing and does the complete opposite, who swears that they believe something to be totally true, and yet they act as if it is completely false. They convince you to invest your time, your talents, your hard-earned money, maybe for a certain cause, right? Maybe it's, it's, it's for the environment, and they want you to invest in solar panels, right? And then you visit their house and you see them burning tires in their backyard. <laughs> I've led some of you to believe that uh, I don't have a, a great affinity for, for pets and animals. And if you come over to my house, though, and you see three dogs and 12 cats, and you go into my living room, and you see photos of me hugging chinchillas and guinea pigs and little gerbils, you'll come to the conclusion, this guy's a hypocrite. Of course... A hypocrite is a pretender, a deceiver, an imposter. Actually, back in the day, in Greek days of the first century, actors were known as hypocrites. And they would cover themselves in costumes or fancy masks, and then they would take on a character that wasn't who they really are. Now, some people get paid for doing things like that. Some of us do it for free in real life. Why is it? Why is it that we pretend to be something that we're not? Is it because we've looked in the mirror and we've seen the task at hand and we've just realized there is no way in any way that I am qualified, that I am adequate to handle the task at hand? And what makes us think that if we have failed so miserably so many times at being who we are that we're going to think that, that we think that we're going to have some type of success in pretending to be something that we're not or could it be that there are some people out there who <laughs> deep down inside they're really just hypocrites it's who they are. It's part of their nature. And so when you see them doing something hypocritical, it's not actually hypocritical at all for them. It's who they are. They're just being themselves. Ah, these are the authentic hypocrites, right? It's not my fault, Your Honor. I was born a liar. You know, that's actually a biblical idea. It is. The human beings are by nature, well, Ephesians tells us that we're by nature children of wrath. After exchanging the truth of God for a lie, Romans 1, after walking away from God's way and going our own way, Isaiah 53, 6, our hearts, our natures, the thing inside that is fundamental to who we are, it's no longer turned Godward, it's turned inward. The one pastor I served with uh, calls this incurvation. Incurvation. It's, a, it's an attempt to describe that internal reality that we've abandoned our true purpose, our true calling in life to love, honor, glorify God, enjoy Him forever. We've abandoned that and we've looked inward. We made it our number one mission in life to get what we want by whatever means necessary. When people first walked away from God, they became people who at their core were prideful, were selfish, were dishonest, 
hateful, angry, maniacal, sociopathic, and all sorts of other undesirable things. So if you follow what the Bible actually teaches about humanity to its logical conclusion, then telling someone to be true to themselves or to follow their heart or, or saying, just you, be you, well, that's actually an encouragement to be the exact opposite of what God created them to be. Maybe you've seen the uh, 1956 screen adaptation of The Bad Seed. Anyone seen that? Oh, it's good. A seemingly perfect eight-year-old girl. In reality, heartless killer. We're shocked. We're disturbed by the heart of darkness that lies beneath the pigtails and the little polka dot dress. But the Bible tells us That whether we are aware of it or not, that same thing exists in our hearts, the hearts in each and every one of us. At their core, human beings are who they should not be. So authenticity for them is really inauthenticity. And being genuine to their nature for them would really be being disingenuous, and loving themselves and being true to themselves would actually be an encouragement to do anything, to do anything, to do whatever it takes to get what they want without any true regard for anyone else. That's being authentic. That's being genuine. There's nothing hypocritical about being a hypocrite if that's who you are deep down inside. So my friends, embrace it. Embrace it. There's nothing hypocritical about that. Unless, unless you've placed your trust in Jesus. Unless he's transformed your heart and is actually in the process of transforming it and, and, and taking a heart of stone and transforming it into a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36. Unless he's given you a new nature, making you alive to God, Romans 6, 11. Unless who, who you are has been crucified with Jesus, like Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Now, if that's the case, and those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus now have had him give us a new identity, and he's working to transform us from the inside out, then being true to ourselves, who we are now, that actually means saying no. No to those old desires. No to that old way of doing things. No to that selfishness. No to that pride, that arrogance, the unrestrained anger, the underhanded tactics, doing whatever it takes to get what we want, saying no to that. Authenticity for Christians, it still means being true to who we are. It still means that. But Christians have got to recognize that who they are is no longer who they were. 
and who they are is in direct opposition to any remnants of that twisted desire that continues to linger deep down inside. Okay, so how does that relate to our passage in Mark this morning? In Mark 12, 13, we see an example of how fallen hearts, how they can go about getting what they want. We see three different ways, three different underhanded tactics that are sometimes employed to achieve what we want, to achieve our desires. And my hope is that by examining this passage, we will be able to, be, to, to better identify and guard ourselves from allowing these things to spring up inside of us. Sound good? Let's do this. Colossians 3.10 says this, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what? So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after its creator. Even though we have put on this new self, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, those earthly desires, they still remain. They still pull us from within. And the three hypocritical tactics that we see in Mark chapter 12 that can sometimes find their way into our lives. First hypocritical tactic is this. When we try to get what we want, when we give in to those desires to get what we want, that can lead us to make unholy alliances. Look at verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now, we have to stop right there. I know we didn't get very far, but we're going to get into this, okay? Don't worry. It's no secret what they wanted. Who are they? Verse 13, they're the Jewish religious leaders. We've been looking at these guys for quite some time now. Quite some time, and they've been trying to do anything. They've been trying to do everything to get rid of Jesus. Jesus was a threat to their position, a threat to their power, a, th a threat to their popularity, the, their religious institution, their traditions that they had built up to help them attain a certain plateau where they could look down on all bottom feeders down there. They tried the blasphemy card. Didn't work so good. They tried to turn people away from him. You know, let's destroy his popularity. That's not working. They tried to question his authority. Nothing seemed to stick. Jesus seemed to have the right answer for everything. <laughs> but the heart wants what it wants, right? Life finds a way. Yes, it does. 
There had to be a way to get rid of him. Had to be a way. Somewhere along the lines, the religious leaders, they came to the conclusion that if they couldn't use religion to do it, then they were going to have to resort to drastic measures. Politics. We'll get him with his politics. Verse 13 says, They sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him. Now, that is very important for our study today. Some Pharisees and some Herodians. If you know anything about these two groups, they are not very friendly to each other. They do not like each other. They are totally different from one another. The Pharisees were the religious elites, fanatical about Jewish religious law, devoted to Israel, intensely religious. The Herodians, <laughs> they were political junkies. <laughs> they couldn't care less about Jewish religious traditions. In fact, they proudly violated them. All they cared about was Roman law. They cared about Roman politics, devoted to the empire. They were kiss-ups to Caesar, kiss-ups to Herod Antipas, hoping that that would somehow help them jump the political ladder. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they hated the Herodians. Hate these guys. Yet, they also knew as long as Rome held the power in Israel, there's no way we're going to be able to destroy Jesus properly. We can't put anyone to death. Rome holds that privilege for itself. And so we're going to have to convince the Roman officials to, to do the job for us. Now, religious reason would never do. <laughs> the Romans didn't care whether or not someone was blasphemous or not. What they did care about, though, was insurrection. Jewish uprisings had taken place before. But considering now, this time, we know that this is the time of Passover. We know the city of Jerusalem is swelling with massive crowds. And the Romans, they would have been on high alert, watching vigilantly for anyone who might potentially incite a riot. And so the religious leaders, they grab the Pharisees, they grab the Herodians and say, you go to Jesus. If they can get Jesus to give the Romans a reason to act, and Rome is not going to be kind. Pharisees didn't like the Herodians. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. Truth be told, they would have seen them as enemies. But we've all heard that ancient proverb, haven't we? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Essentially, they just wanted to use the Herodians to get what they wanted. They wanted to bait them into doing the dirty work for them. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Sometimes we're tempted to partner with people, even people we don't like, people that we don't agree with, who are completely opposed to everything that we believe in as long as they can help us get what we want. You know, this happens all the time in, in relationships. People who are dating, oh my goodness, will compromise what we believe and what we stand for for a pretty face or some very thick, firm muscles. That certain someone who makes us feel significant, makes us feel loved, makes us feel alive. Happens to Christians. 
they wag their fingers and they wag their heads at people in the porn industry. And then secretly they will go and feed off of those same images that they are generating. Happens to churches, it happened recently, a couple churches self-identified as strip clubs during the pandemic. It's a loophole. We'll identify with them and then we can open up. No mass, no nothing. Just like the religious leaders, we can even make alliances with people who are enemies of the cross to fight against people, to fight against organizations, to fight against policies that we don't like. Is that because we don't believe that God is a big enough ally to get the job done, to push his kingdom through? He's going to make it happen? Or could it be that just like these religious leaders, could it be that we know that what we actually want isn't in line with God's purposes? And we can't ask this in God's name, so we have to ask others to help push our agenda through. God's word tells us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We know that. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now someone might say, well, wait a second here. Does that mean you can never use the services of or, or partner with people who don't believe the exact same things that you believe? Well, of course not. You've got to do that in order to live. Not only that, Christians are actually in the business of redeeming all things so that Christ might be glorified. And so just like the apostles used the Roman roads to get the gospel message out there, we use the internet. Something that can be used for great evil is used for great evil to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And we purchase land in, in cities and states where leaders are opposed to the gospel so that we can erect churches the Christians might be built up, that might, might be equipped and sent out to bless their neighbors. When ungodliness flourishes, wicked agendas are promoted in our cities or in our state, that's when we dig in our heels and stay for as long as we can so that the light of Jesus might continue to shine in a dark place. Many teachers in public schools right now, Christian teachers who are doing just that. Praise God for them. The difference between that and what these religious leaders were doing was that they were intentionally trying to take advantage of the evil motives of other people to get what they wanted. What the Pharisees were doing, they were capitalizing on these motives that they hated and that they believed were directly opposed to God and opposed to God's people, oppressing God's people, and they were using those to get what they wanted. We need to be careful we don't find ourselves doing the same. The desire to get what we want can lead us to make unholy alliances. It can also lead us to say, well, anything. To say anything, even things we know aren't true. Things that we don't believe. Verse 14 says, and they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but only teach the way of God. Now, we know these religious leaders, they didn't have the slightest regard for Jesus. An ounce of respect you couldn't find among them. On the contrary, they hated Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with him. They wanted to destroy them. 
And yet, what do they do here? They pretend to honor him by using a title that is reserved only for honorable rabbis. And they call him teacher. They call him teacher. They didn't respect his teaching. They hated it. They stood opposed to it. That's why they wanted to destroy him, calling him teacher. That was just insincere flattery. What's worse, they go on to say, we know that you are true. That's an outright lie. Outright lie. They believed him to be a deceiver, a blasphemer, a liar. Just like the Greek actors of the day, they were putting on faces that didn't belong to them to get what they wanted. They were pretending like they were on his team, trying to lower his guard by buttering him up with flattery, hoping to convince the watching crowd that, that the last thing we would ever do is to want to hurt this Jesus that you love. May it never be. The hypocritical flattery continued as they say, we know that you are true and that you do not care about anyone's opinion for you're not swayed by the appearances of God, but truly teach the way of God. What they were saying was absolutely true, and yet they didn't believe a word of it. At this point, they were willing to say anything to get what they wanted. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said it to the Pharisees in Mark 7, 6, well did the well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's exactly what's going on here. Are there times when you and I are tempted to do the same, to talk like we honor God, we want to honor God, we want to worship Him with everything that we've got, but then secretly, deep down inside, our real desire is to honor ourselves. We sing songs about giving God all of ourselves, loving Him first, obeying Him always, but deep down inside. Are we really just saying, you know what, I'll, I'll do this when everyone else is watching so that I can impress a crowd, but I'm going to be something different when I'm by myself. We stare each other in the eye and we say nice things to one another. Church people are good at that, aren't they? We've, we learned that, to, we perfect that at a young age. I think I was, I don't even think I was in junior high. I knew what to say. Secretly, we're thinking something else. How can I get away from this person? Boy, this person annoys me. I can't stand them. Why do they talk like that? Why do they act like that? They're putting on a show. We accuse them inside of wearing a mask and being false at church, and what are we doing at the exact same time? We need to be watchful. We don't fall prey to those old desires of our old fallen hearts. They'll tell us that to get what you want, you got to make those unholy alliances. you got to do what it takes, and you got to say whatever it takes. Finally, getting what we want, it can lead us to disguise bad motives with noble intentions. Look back at the end of verse 14. The Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And here is where they really hoped to trigger the Herodians. They hated paying taxes to Rome. The Pharisees did. The religious leaders did. Doing that, they believed, was an affront 
to God. And that's because they believed when it came down to it, everything that they owned, their land, their homes, their clothes, their possessions, all of it belonged to God, not to Caesar. And so why should we give a portion of what belongs to God, why should we give that to Caesar? And it didn't help that the Roman Caesars, they were considered deity. In their minds, that made honoring him the equivalent to worshiping another god. And so paying taxes, in a way, was a violation of the first commandment. And they also believed that the Messiah would certainly be the one to finally help us throw off the shackles of this Roman oppression. He's going to free us so that we can worship God and worship God alone. And they must have been thinking. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Here we go. Could this be his breaking point? Could this be the point where he... It's impossible for him to deny that he is the Messiah and this is what the Messiah is going to lead us to do. Is this where he is going to reveal to all these watching people who have been waiting, who have been wondering, when is it coming, Jesus? When are you going to stand up to Rome? Could this be the point where Jesus is going to do it? And the Pharisees would have expected Jesus in that moment to feel the pressure of the watching eyes of the crowd. If he disappointed them, his followers would be dropping like flies. But at the same time, these people knew that if Jesus so much as hinted that people should stop paying taxes to Caesar, well, the Herodians were going to jump all over that. It happened. Sometime before, the founder of the Zealots, a man by the name of Judas of Galilee, had gathered a crew of people, and they rose up against Rome. The issue? Taxes. And Rome put a swift and fierce end to that. Judas, along with his followers, lost his life. This was a trap. Jesus knew it. Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Knowing their hypocrisy. What is the hypocrisy that Jesus sees in them? Well, he sees the motive of their hearts. They weren't asking the question because they really wanted to know what was right in God's eyes. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was destroying him. They pretended to be truth seekers. But that was just a disguise for their bad motives. Getting what we want can lead us to do the same. To disguise our bad motives with evil intentions. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself. Second Corinthians, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul's warning the Corinthian church, of course, about false teachers who would weasel their way in and preach a different Jesus. You know, that happens in churches today. It absolutely does. People come in with ulterior motives. They act and say things in a way that everyone else thinks, but they're just part of the team here. They're part of the crew. They're just like one of us, but their pursuit of truth is just a disguise for a dark agenda. My friends, you and I might think that is the last thing we would ever want to be caught doing, and yet we need to be on our guard. 
we know that that old fallen heart inside is what? Oh, my goodness. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Jeremiah 17. It creeps up. It rears its ugly head in ways that sometimes just blow our minds. How? We get called on it. We're like, who? Me? I said that? that? Really? That came out of me? Sometimes it comes in the form of self-promotion. We fall prey to the desire to make a name for ourselves, and so we use our spirituality or our knowledge of Scripture as a way to boost our own popularity, to climb that ladder. Sometimes it takes the form of wanting to push certain extra-biblical idea or maybe a cause that we're passionate about. We let other things take the priority that they should not allow them to distract us from or diminish the, the, the focus on the gospel. And some of those things are social justice right now. Political reform. Health remedies, surprisingly, over and over again, pop up. Self-esteem. Diet. Exercise. There's just a few of the examples. Right now, we've got this cultural tide. Everyone's feeling it. Everyone's aware of it. You watch even Fox News in the morning, and you're seeing the cultural tide. And it's moving aggressively. It's moving swiftly. There are people who call themselves Christians who are working their way into churches and into the lives of other Christians so that they might stir up and lead people to believe certain things. Certain things about gender, certain things about marriage, certain things about race, about justice. Guilt is a big one right now. And they're completely incongruent with Scripture. We need to be on our guard. My friends, we need to keep our eyes and our minds fixed on God's truth. We need to scan it. We need to scour it. We need to know it. We need to trust it that we might be sharp enough to see the traps that are out there that so many Christians are succumbing to today. And if you find yourself tempted to listen to a a pastor or a speaker or a writer out there that preaches anything other than Jesus Christ crucified or teaching that, that true knowledge requires a fresh interpretation of God's word We need to stop listening. If you see a church that's capitulating to the right side of history, watch out. Get out. If you see a pastor who's leading you to be more about politics than the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, which is, by the, answer, by the way, the answer to all of the world's problems. Walk away. Take others with you. If you read a book that tells you that you're okay the way you are, that God wants to help you live your best life now, be happy, healthy, wealthy, that God wants that for your life more than he wants you to be holy. A book that says, yeah, everyone eventually goes to the same place. Or that this gospel that we talk about here in church that declares that sinners 
The worst of all can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They can be cleansed of all their guilt, washed clean, made right with God, walk in freedom and the newness of life and look forward with confidence to their heavenly home. If, if you read a book that tells you anything other than that is the best news ever, hold it up next to the truth of Scripture and be prepared to give it a big thumbs down. If you follow influencers, follow a podcast, you follow a public figure, a celebrity, uh, uh, an influencer that's leading you in any, any direction other than hoping, trusting, and obeying Jesus Christ, be on guard. Be on guard. If you've put your trust in Jesus... You are his follower now. Before anyone else, you follow him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this, this is the part that is so good. This, this is where we have to live right now. We have homes here. Most of us have homes. We have a place to stay. But this is not our home. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hold on to that. Tightly to that. Authentic Christians, they put to death the old self and they seek to genuinely, thoroughly, courageously align themselves with Jesus because he is their life now. The rest of our passage is devoted to Jesus exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He says, bring me a denarius, let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God, God's. And they marveled. <laughs> In one simple statement, Jesus puts an end to their hopes of trapping him and exposes their failure to submit to their ultimate authority. That word render there. It, it connotes that a debt is owed. A debt is being repaid here. A debt to government, a debt to God. Those are the two things that Jesus is talking about. Render to the government, render to God. The Bible teaches that governments are actually uh, under God's ultimate authority. And God has control of the hearts and minds of our leaders out there, our civic leaders the heart of the king is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That is an awesome reality. And Christians are called to submit, even pray for, <laughs> their civic leaders, the people who are in positions of authority. And those authorities may or may not honor the Lord. In most cases, they don't. And yet he uses them as a means of common grace. Have you heard that phrase before? 
common grace. It's good that God pours out on all of the world. You don't have to be a Christian to experience this kind of grace. It's common grace. And government is supposed to be that. It's supposed to give certain benefits to people, like a peaceful environment to live, some security, protection, infrastructure, uh, means of survival, common grace. So Jesus says, render or give back to Caesar. You talk about corruption. You talk about evil. Caesar, render to him what he's owed. That, of course, doesn't mean absolute allegiance. No way. The Bible teaches that if the government commands or forbids something that is contrary to God's law, well, then it's God who you obey rather than the government. But except for those instances, render unto Caesar. That was one thing. But then Jesus says, render to God the things that are God's. And like a knife, that would have stung. When it came down to it, the religious leaders, they were failures on both counts. They resented Caesar. They resented, they hated the Roman government. They didn't want to pay taxes and yet they also failed in a massive way to give God his due. How? For starters, they refused to recognize and honor Jesus for who he truly was. Someone once said, the world is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Hypocrisy is actually a sign of authenticity for those with fallen hearts. Shouldn't be surprised by it. Should come naturally. In fact, it does. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means pretty much everyone is in that category. That is, except for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. That's because, well, being authentic without Christ means being true to your heart. Being authentic with Christ means being true to him. As we strive and pray for that, let's continue to be on guard, watching for those old desires to find their way into our lives. Stay alert, because the desire to get what we want, that can lead us to make unholy alliances. It can lead us to say just about anything. It can lead us to disguise bad motives with noble intentions as we look forward to the day when we will see our Savior face to face. Let's render unto God the things that are God's. And let's say no to our fallen hearts and yes to genuinely loving our Creator and loving the people that He created. Amen? Lord, we love you. We thank you. Your grace abounds. We experience it, Lord, as the world experiences it. There's so many good things that happen in our world, even gravity, even the air we breathe, so many common graces that we all experience, Lord, and yet we know, Lord, that we have experienced grace upon grace, extraordinary grace in Jesus Christ, because we, if we have placed our trust in Jesus, stand here, sit here, clean, forgiven, with a hope and a future that is eternal. We love you. You've taken our old, warped lives and you've 
made them new. You've taken our identity that was just something to be thrown to the ground, into the mud, Lord, and you've given us the identity of the Savior. We are not the same anymore. Lord, continue to change us, shape us to look like Jesus. Thank you for continuing to be patient with us. And Lord, as we walk through life together, may we continue to encourage one another to know and love you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus.